0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Being homeless in Canada, it's a huge issue, and in Ontario particularly, where it's bitterly and cruelly cold. Paul Tavares from Cambridge, Ontario, is currently spending 90 days and 90 nights in the cold, living outside in order to make the plight of the homeless more mainstream understood. I spoke with Mr. Tavares about what he's doing and why he's doing it. As we talk about the homeless, it might be worthwhile to mention that 46% of Canadians are $200 away from personal bankruptcy. Daryl Bricker is the president and CEO of Ipsos Polling. They did the numbers on that. I spoke with Mr. Bricker about these numbers, which might or should be alarming. Listen. Sharon Williams is the president and founder of Helping Hamilton Homeless. I exchanged emails and tweets, direct messages, with Ms. Williams last weekend after I spoke about a young homeless man who was in our station parking lot and people were just stopping to hug him, talk to him, and try to persuade him to get into the warmth. He decided that wasn't what he was going to do. What do local groups on their own initiative, on their own dime, do for those who need
1: the most? this time of the year in this country, as you well know, it gets pretty damn cold. And uh, not everybody can walk over to a thermostat somewhere and just crank the thing up by two or three degrees Celsius in order to have the heat that you want. In fact, there are people who have thermostats who try not to use them or have them so low that uh, they're walking around their houses wearing coats and and toques because they're in economic challenging situations. People who have a home doesn't aren't necessarily living a, a comfortable life, but homelessness in this country. Now, last weekend, I spoke about a young man who was in the CHML parking lot here in Hamilton, Ontario, where this program originates. And he's been around there, our parking lot, for a couple of months. You see him one weekend, you don't see him the next, and then you see him a couple of weekends. And... And I've gone over and talked to him on a couple of occasions and uh, had a little Christmas present for him as well. And so last weekend, it was just brutally cold, just brutal. The wind chill was somewhere around minus 30, maybe even colder. And he was outside. He was out there on the, in, the, in the parking lot. And as I've said to you before, people were pulling into our parking lot and going over and talking to him. I'm sure they were trying to persuade him to go to a shelter, and he wouldn't go. There was one woman put her had her arms around him. Uh, the two young women had walked away after talking to him. They, they were in tears. It was deeply disturbing, deeply disturbing, because in Canada, because of the charter, you have the charter right. The Supreme Court decided that you have the charter right to freeze to death. So you may not be capable of making an educated decision about yourself because of mental health issues perhaps, um, but, you, but you can decide that you're not going to go to a shelter and you, and you freeze to death. Now, if you get to the point where you can't take care of yourself anymore, then the police can step in and take care of you and or the paramedics and take you to the hospital. I called 911 and uh, was told, well, police have been over several times to talk to him, and uh, he doesn't want to go anywhere. So um, it's a picture that is repeated again and again across Canada. And I was so glad to see people actually stop and go and speak with them because we can't ever get comfortable with the, with the notion and the idea and the visibility of our, our, of our citizens who don't have a home, who are outside in horrible, horrible weather, horrible conditions, because they, the visibility disappears and they become invisible. We can't afford that. Not if we have a caring society. So I became aware of Mr. Paul Tavares from Cambridge, Ontario. And uh, he is on the road across this province with his 90 days and nights in the cold campaign. And Mr. Tavares is spending a week living outdoors in 13 cities in the province of Ontario to open people's eyes to the plight of the homeless. Uh, he will be in Hamilton, I understand, tomorrow. And I can tell you it's going to be terribly cold again, with the wind chill being uh, minus I 25, minus 30, somewhere somewhere in the... At the point where you don't count the numbers anymore, you just freeze. 90 days and nights in the cold. Paul Tavares joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, And and why are you doing this, in your words?
2: Um, I'm doing it to, um, I guess, uh, pay back society for helping me when I was homeless.
1: Okay. And tell us about that.
2: Um. I came back from uh, Alberta after being out west for five years and uh, suffered through a, a second divorce and uh, passed up uh, coming back to Cambridge to attend a funeral of one of my brothers, passed away from cancer. And I, I'm died. sorry. I, I
1: didn't mean, I didn't want to ask you about your personal life. You don't have to tell us about that. I mean, if you if, if you wish, that's fine. I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, tell us about why you're doing this. Uh, this 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 ninety days and and, and ninety nights paying it back to society. Society has society been good to you when you needed it?
2: Yes, when I was uh, down and out, uh, society helped me out. They um, they provide uh, meals. They provide a place to stay for for those who are able to get there when there's beds available. And if uh, there's not beds available, they send you to an overflow situation. So. There are beds available, there are meals available, there's clothes available, and there's people to talk to, people to help you with uh, whatever brought you to the street in the first place.
1: Yeah, and then there are the people like the young man I saw last weekend who, uh, for whatever reasons, doesn't want to go, could die out in the cold and has the right to do that, has the right to die out in the cold. Um, I, I just found that, I find that so really, really Disturbing that you know that that you that you I just personally find it very disturbing. What what do you what? I, I guess I'm asking what is what is it like for you to be outdoors um, for for a week in 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 the cold, and what reaction and response are you getting from people who recognize what you're doing?
2: Well, generally speaking, I'm getting good response. Uh, occasionally, I'll get people questioning why i'm doing it and and saying that uh um, i'm wasting my time things will never change it's just going to get worse but uh those who do stop uh many thank me because they've been through it themselves and uh they they say that it's nice to see that someone's taking a stance and actually like choosing to uh go out in the streets during the coldest time of year to raise awareness not that people are homeless, because I hope that everybody is aware that there is a homeless situation. Um, However, um, I'm trying to bring light to the causes of homelessness and what leads people to be there in the first place, and and then try to find solutions, try to prevent it from happening in the first place.
1: Okay, so talk to us about that. What is it that uh, brings on homelessness? What do we have to do as a society to deal with that?
2: Well, the issue is... uh, The majority of cases of homelessness stem from one form of mental illness or another. um, And oftentimes uh, that leads to self-medication, right? The the system has placed a lot of people onto the system or on the streets that were previously, so maybe 40 years ago or more, would have been in the system. There was a mental health system in place that was changed. 40 some odd years ago that placed uh, functionally mentally ill people onto this streets on their own placed them into homes that possibly like a a group home situation with uh someone on site during the day like the nine to five hours to help them with their day with uh planning their shopping and that kind of thing and then they're on their own overnight and uh what I have found, the people that are in the shelter system that have mental health issues, um, they don't always have someone there to help them, someone that's qualified to, to deal with the mental health issues at the shelter. They may be required to like make an appointment and go to a different location to get the help that they need at a mental health clinic or monthly injections or whatever it is that, that they require as far as medical treatment. To help them with their mental illness yeah. but when they're left alone to their own devices and sometimes uh, you find that well I'm feeling good this week I'm not going to take that pill because yeah. I don't like the side effects of that pill so I'm going to decide not to take that pill because I feel pretty good right and then you after a while of not taking the pill then you're not feeling good you know what I mean it's it's that yeah. cycle of of self-medication that I don't think is very reliable.
1: Yeah, the system used to be there. Yes. And it's not there anymore, or it's not there the way it used to be. And and now you can do, you can make the decision to uh, essentially end your own life, even though you're not making that decision. But but you're not capable mentally of. Uh, I, I I want to be careful what I say because uh, it's important to do that. The, the it's it, the system has let the people down. You know what you're doing is so selfless. And it's so important, and I'm I'm so impressed by what you're doing to reach out and and send the message to people across the province of Ontario, and um, by extension across Canada, about the importance of relating to and caring about the people who are homeless and the people who find themselves in dire economic circumstances. We're going to be talking at the end at the bottom of the half hour with the president and CEO of Ipsos polling, and we found that 46 percent of Canadians are $200 away from bankruptcy. That's a scary number. How can people help? What can what can people do directly to, to help right now?
2: Well, directly to help, especially now during the winter, would be to uh, provide the, the clothing necessary to help them, us, I guess, survive on the street. And uh, socks, boots, hats, mitts, coats, like blankets, sleeping bags, especially for the people that have uh, chosen for one w- reason or another to not go to the traditional shelter system, and there's lots of them that have made that decision uh, for one re- reason or another. Whether it's um, someone has stolen their their belongings, and and it, it happens. Unfortunately, it does happen when you're in the shelter system. Just a couple of days ago, someone had their tires stolen off their bike while they were having lunch at one of the soup kitchens. Oh boy! So it's it's. It's unfortunate that there are some that are out there on the street who prey upon the most vulnerable in our society. Yeah. Um, stealing from a homeless person to me has got to be the lowest thing that you could do. But yeah. like, seriously, I, I don't get it.
1: No, I, I don't either. And and people know. And I'm not going to talk about this much. But I I've, I lived I was homeless as well as a 14 year old. So I uh, I understand what it. What, it, what it's like and it has a lifelong impact on you no matter what you may do later on in life. You raise funds as well. You were able. To, this is the second time you're doing this. You were able to raise funds for the homeless last time. Are you, are you involved in fundraising this time?
2: I'm involved in the fundraising this time as well, yes. Uh, two years ago, uh, I stayed in one location for the full 90 days uh, here in Cambridge at the Shoppers Drug Mart on Ainsley Street, uh, right across from the Bridges Shelter. And f- between four charities... Uh, I raised just under fifteen thousand uh, dollars before expenses, and, and distributed um, just over thirteen thousand dollars to the to the four
1: different charities. That's excellent. How can people help out now? Um, help you? Help,
2: helping out now, I have a few people helping out, but uh, as I'm coming city to city, there's uh there's a GoFundMe um, set up for the ninety days and nights in the cold. Okay. There's also a Facebook fund set up. Um, which uh, fortunately does not have service charges like uh, GoFundMe has. Um, People can e-transfer funds, and and, and aside from financial donations, uh, food and clothing donations are being accepted at most of the stops that I make. I say most because I haven't uh, set up that contingency for people to drop off food and clothing at each location. But in Hamilton, at the uh, site that I'm staying at, the business owner himself uh, set it up on his own Facebook page for the for the business that they're accepting for the full week. They're accepting food and clothing donations. Oh, that's great. Um, so that, that will go directly to the shelter system in Hamilton. And uh, the funds, and it's in, important to clarify this, the funds raised in each of the cities stays in those cities. Okay. I'm not bringing that money back to Cambridge for the Cambridge system. Right. Um, I'm including all the numbers in the totals, and my fundraising goal is $150,000 across 13 cities.
1: So. Well, you know that's terrific, and I hope you I hope you surpass the $150,000. I hope people have that level of generosity and caring about the the people in our society who need it the most. So it's 90 days and nights, and there's a GoFundMe page. There's the 90 days and nights on Facebook, right?
2: Yes, it is. It's a separate Facebook page: ninety days and nights in the cold.
1: 90, 90 days and, and nights in the cold, and then there's ninety days and ninety nights dot ninety days and nights on uh, dot com on the web.
2: .com. There's a website, yes. Uh, and uh, to clarify too, on the website, the itinerary, like my schedule, um, I haven't been able to update the website. Okay. But On my Facebook, I have. Put my new schedule,
1: which includes Hamilton. Hamilton was not included in the first schedule. Okay. So. All right. So Facebook, uh, GoFundMe, and there, there's the webpage as well. How do you How do you handle the cold when you're out? The, you know, you're going to be out in in really, really seriously cold weather. How do you deal with it?
2: Um, while I was in Kitchener, um, the last two nights in Kitchener, and the first night I, I did one night in Guelph. I had three consecutive nights that were around the minus 30 range with the windchill. And you know what? Uh, layers is the way to go. Um, you got to stay dry. You have to um, keep your feet dry. Um, you have to minimize the amount of sweat that you accumulate. <laughs> Believe it or not, you don't want to sweat. So what I do is my coat comes off, my boots come off, and I, I get in my sleeping bag with fewer clothes than most people would. And that's the key. You need to suffer for maybe 10 to 15 minutes until your own breath and everything else, if you're fortunate enough to have a sleeping bag. Um, When I was actually homeless and I slept in the park for 115 days at Dixon Park in Cambridge, I didn't have a sleeping bag. So I kept the layers on, right, because you need those layers to substitute for a sleeping bag and a tent and everything else. So I had snow pants and whatnot, and, and again, layers, Multiple layers, but okay. in the in the wee hours of the morning, you know, say from three a.m. to six a.m., those are your coldest hours.
1: Yeah, Paul, and, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go have ahead. to I'm gonna have to stop here just because we've run out of time. But it's ninety days and nights uh, in in the cold. It's uh, there's a uh, GoFundMe page, there's Facebook, and it's uh, Paul Tavares is doing this to raise awareness of homelessness. God bless you for doing this, my friend. All the best to you. Thank you very much. Take care, Paul Thank Tavares. And he'll be in Hamilton starting tomorrow. This is the kind of selfless, caring thing, um, action that, you know, really good people do. Really just pointing out the need. i just reading a column written by Alicia Corbella, and it's in the uh, Calgary Sun. The uh, headline is, Joe Ferraro pays it forward for Calgary's homeless. Just read you a little bit of this. Joe Ferraro says, were it not for the support of the Italian community in Calgary, where he, his parents, and his brother emigrated to Canada in 1959, his family may very well have been homeless. Community, adds Ferraro, chairman and founder of Caldridge Homes, made it possible for his family to rise from poverty to prosperity. That's one of the main reasons Ferraro has donated $1.4 million to the Resolve Housing Campaign, to not just build homes with supports for vulnerable Calgarians, but to build community of caring for those who have none. See, those are the uh, wonderful things people do to, to pay forward, to make a difference, to uh, recognize the need, and just doesn't get any better than that. So then I saw I saw this story that I, and several people have commented uh, to me about it, and uh, it's quite fascinating because what the uh, it's a it's a poll it's an Ipsos poll and uh, the poll shows that or, or reveals that forty six percent of Canadians are two hundred dollars away from being bankrupt. The number in two thousand seventeen another Ipsos poll was forty eight percent. Daryl Bricker is the president CEO. He joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Daryl, 46%, thank you for the time, 46% of Canadians are $200 away from bankruptcy. That's virtually half the people we we see each day. Can you put that into perspective for us?
3: Yeah, it's an awful lot of people. It's 46% in our survey, and that's up six points over the last three months. And and the interesting thing is that it corresponds with a lot of other data that we're we're coming across about people's moods. And their mood on the economy has begun to sour, particularly in the fourth quarter of last year, in the last three months of last year. And I think that this is a reflection of this lack of optimism about where things are headed. Are 46% of the population actually $200 um, uh, away from bankruptcy? They feel that they are. Uh, So in this instance, that, that feeling, that lack of confidence is something that everybody needs to be concerned about. You know, every once in a while, Roy, we put out a poll uh, in which uh, it has the impact, like, you're, like you mentioned, where a bunch of people have mentioned it to you because it resonates. And that's what i found with these results. They really do resonate. There's something going on out there.
1: I had a call at home one evening telling me, hey, did you know that 46% of Canadians are $200 away from bankruptcy? You should do the story. And, uh, and, and you know, I'd, I'd seen it earlier in the day and I was going to call you, but it, has, it is making an impact. I, I, so people have the feeling, and you and I, Daryl, talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, the declining confidence you know, the middle class has in, uh, in, in their financial well-being and has been going down uh, for some over the last three years. Uh, are, are people feeling like they're living on the ragged edge?
3: They do feel that they're living on the ragged edge, and, and, and it's a, a combination of things. One of them is just this general feeling in the air that things are just not getting better, that things are getting harder. Yes, they may have a job, uh, but they don't feel that they're making progress in that job. They don't feel like their incomes are expanding. They don't think that they're doing better than their parents did and that their kids will do better than they have done. So as a result, these people who are sitting in the middle class are looking at all of these things, not from the perspective of you know the big economy issues like uh, you know what uh, you know what's happening in an international trade or what's happening in the stock market, but what's happening when they sit down at the kitchen table every month and add up their bills and you know pay them off. Do they feel like they're getting ahead? And what they're telling us is right now that they don't feel like they're getting ahead. Uh, you know, and everything from the cost of you name it in your life, starting with real estate, down to the issue of taxation, they feel that all of these things are making it harder and harder for them to, uh, uh, to to make progress in their lives.
1: And a significant percentage of people fear they will never be debt-free.
3: Yeah, in fact, what they're telling us is there's a real fear over the medium term, I would say, by the medium term I mean this year, that interest rates will go up and that they'll have to go into further debt in order to be able to meet their bills.
1: Uh, so, so Canadians, well, I guess I should ask you this: Do Canadians fundamentally worry about their debt, or is it has it become an accepted fact of life?
3: No, they do fundamentally worry about their debt. They they do. It, it, it is a, it is a fundamental fact of life, but it's not a uh, something that they ignore or they view as a positive. It's it's it's, it's like the sort of damocles hanging over their head and they feel it every day. And it's causing a lot of tension out there. And as interest rates sneak up, uh, and they have been sneaking up over the last little while, it makes it even harder for people, in fact half the people we interviewed said that they were already feeling the impact of increased interest rates.
1: You know, uh, this is uh, this is really concerning, and, and uh, you know, I spoke with Linda Leatherdale um, maybe two, three years ago, and when Linda rang the alarm bell, on the amount of debt that we're carrying, and I think Canadians, on average, owe a dollar a dollar seventy six for every dollar that comes in. That's not a formula for getting out of debt.
3: No, it's not, and it's one of the reasons that the government, over the space of the last couple of years, and the Bank of Canada have been working to uh, increase the cost of of uh, buying houses making it more certain that people can actually afford what it is that they're investing in because a lot of the debt that we're talking about here is real estate debt but one of the things that i know writing about canadian demography is that increasingly canadians are becoming an urban uh, species and as a result of that uh, by doing those kinds of things, you're denying something that the middle class believes is their, their birthright, which is to own a home in a place that they want to live. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of these things coming together and creating a mood in which people feel like things are going sideways. And if interest rates continue to creep up, uh, they've been a little stable over the last little while, so that helps. But if they do creep up, it's going to have uh, a pretty profound impact on the public mood.
1: And significant numbers of Canadians know someone who's had to deal with, or who is dealing with, bankruptcy.
3: Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, when you when you when you take a look at the numbers, it's 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 not something that's uh, you know taking place in households outside of uh, outside of reach. People are seeing these things out there, and they are seeing things, for example, like uh, you know the General Motors shut down in Oshawa. They're feeling like their jobs are precarious. It's it's a, it's a fragile time. Uh, and it's when you get into these fragile types of uh, situations is when you start to see people demanding change, yeah. demanding difference. So it's going to be a very interesting year, uh, 2019.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a challenging time for Mr. Trudeau, who was talking about raising a living standard for the middle class.
3: Well, you know, the uh, he's got two big problems, right? One of them is that his agenda is not what people are talking about. They're not out walking the streets talking about, uh, you know, gender equity and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, climate change and the things that this government is really focused on over the last while. Well, they're, they're really focused on bread and butter kinds of issues right now. Uh, if you ask them what are the most important issues facing them, both of them are future-oriented. One of them is health care, in which there's basically nothing being said. And then the number two issue is taxes, which, by the way, is the first time I've seen that in many, many years. So you combine it with what we're looking at right here, to, to, come, out of, to come from Ottawa and actually say, hey, things are going great, sunny days. That's not the weather that everybody else no. is experiencing right now. No. So that discontinuity, that disconnect, is something that uh, that Prime Minister Trudeau is going to have to struggle with over the course of this year. Yeah. And the kind of connection he had with people back in 2015 on this question, he needs to reestablish.
1: Yeah, if your forecast is going to be sunny days, you better deliver. Correct. And, and you know, Daryl, things are so cyclical. If, if I think back 10 years to 2009, there was this, and with justification there was gloom and doom, not so much maybe less in this country than anywhere else and certainly in the G7 but the the world uh, world's economy was uh, was 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 tottering and uh, and we were doing reasonably well in canada but uh, and by 2010 2011 people seemed to be confident and and now there's this there's this concern as you say it's 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 no longer just edging into your peripheral vision it's it's right in front of you when you look at these uh, these numbers would you expect things to change significantly say over the next 2 to 3 years
3: uh, if anywhere, probably in the other direct, in, in the negative direction, wow. and the reason is, is that it fits within this overall context of generational decline. That you know things are just not getting better. Yeah. But when you go back to 2008, and I was doing a lot of polling in 2008, 2009, as the world was going through this great global economic disruption, which they're still trying to, re- we're still trying to recover from. The difference in Canada at that time was people were saying, "I'm all right, Jack." In Canada, they were saying, you know, things are actually not so bad for my family. Yeah. But I'm looking at the global situation, and I'm worried. So it was like they were looking at the weather out there, uh, you know, over the mountains or the hills, or you know, and in, in, in where we live, you know, coming in from the west, and saying, you know, I'm worried that yeah. this is going to hit us. But they weren't feeling any raindrops or lightning or snow or anything on them. The difference now is that people are actually. Not so much looking out at the global economic circumstance, looking at their own personal circumstance, and they're saying, I'm troubled.
1: Yeah, and when you sit down at the dinner table, and when I'm troubled is the sort of the, the fundamental conversation. That's not a good thing. Really not a good thing. And yeah, it, it's
3: not. Yeah. It's not.
1: Daryl, it's always great talking to you. Thank you so much for the time. Always a
3: pleasure, right Thanks for having
1: me. Bye-bye. You. Darryl Bricker, President CEO of Ipsos Polling, 46% of Canadians. Believe they're two hundred dollars away from personal bankruptcy. Helping homeless in Hamilton is a nonprofit organization, and it is it was founded by Sharon Williamson. And uh, Sharon joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, along with uh, fellow board member Natasha Willis. And uh, thank you both for joining us. Yeah, no
4: problem. Thank you for having us.
1: So, so Sharon, how did uh, Helping Hamilton Homeless come into being?
4: Um, we started it about three and a half, four years ago. Um, I parked in a parking lot that had a lot of homeless people there. And one day I just went up to them and said, how can I help you guys? Like, what do you need? I said, I'd like to take you, buy you lunch, take you on, um, actually I was going to take them into a hotel for the night. And I said, I'll help you with whatever you guys want. And they said, we don't want any of that. We don't care about stuff like that I said okay what do you want and they said all we want is a pair of socks and so I said that's it that's all you need and they said yeah that's it and I said okay I'll be right back and I went and got them a bag of 50 pairs of socks and some other items clothes and food and that and I came back and it was one of the guy's birthdays so we end up singing happy birthday and I gave him a card and I said to him um what 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 t- what are you going to do with all the socks I got you? He says, I'm going to take one pair and share the rest with all the other homeless people. And I could not believe that they were so selfless and had no greed at all. They have nothing. And he, he was going to share his birthday gift of the socks with everybody else. And I just was blown away by that. And I kept going and visiting them and helping them and bringing them whatever they needed. And from that day forward, I thought, you know what? This is my calling. I really, really want to help these people. They're so... Genuine and and grateful, and it just really amazed me. Yeah, and they never ask for more
1: than they need too. Um, that's a, that's so. a, you know, that's such a great story. Uh, those who have the least are the are the ones who quite often are going to give you anything that they have, a the little bit. Yeah,
4: have. and they only take what they need. It's amazing. Like you yeah. can give them more, more food, more this. No, they say no, nope, That's all I need.
1: Yeah. Natasha, what do you do uh, when you when you go out when it's going to be horribly cold again? in southern Ontario over the next, uh, you know, days, week, week and a half. What do you do when you go out uh, and, and you, and you, and, you st- and you step up for the homeless? What do you do?
5: So every other Sunday we kind of all gather together, and there's usually minimum 50 of us that go out now. Uh, sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. Um, but we collect, you know, all the donated items. We collect food. Um, lots of people bring food. We go and we just kind of find them, and sometimes they find us, and we just kind of give them food clothing, whatever they need. Uh, sometimes they tell us what they need for next time, so we bring that as well. Um, but it's not even just about the stuff we give them. It's kind of about the connecting. And, you know, they tell us their life story, and, and you know, they want hugs, and they just want to know that they matter, um, that, we're not, that we actually see them and we're not just walking past
1: them. Yeah, yeah. Don't let people become uh, invisible. Sharon, when we, you and I spoke earlier today, we talked about, and I mentioned this in the last uh, half hour or so, just because somebody has a home doesn't mean that they're flush. That they're doing okay.
4: Yeah, that's right. The, the rent that they get, a lot of them actually only get a homeless supplement if they're homeless too. So they don't get a lot of money. Um, if they don't have an address, they get two hundred bucks a month, two hundred and fifty bucks a month. And if they're on welfare, they only get enough because of the rising cost of rent to to make their rent payments. So they're still not eating. So we get them to come out Thursday night at Urban Core, and we bring food. We post meals every night at churches that they can go to. We try and make sure, even though they have a house, they still may be um, technically needy and and need our help still.
1: No, no, when you say we, how many people are involved with uh, helping Hamilton, homeless in Hamilton? How many are you?
4: Well, there's there's four board members
5: but we have differing um, volunteers that come every other week as well right. um, so that kind of yeah that's different so it's up to 50 sometimes so wonderful
1: how can how can people help you do what you need to do what do you, what can people do
5: um probably with donations and just maybe just showing up and and giving us some time just to kind of walk with us as well so.
1: yeah so how do they get in touch with you
5: um, we have the Facebook page, uh, okay. so you can go on that, and pretty soon we will have a website up and running, okay. which will probably be closer
4: to March. Okay. Um, but yeah, so... And we have a Twitter page.
1: Okay, and it's Helping, sure can- it's helping Hamilton Homeless.
4: Yes, Helping okay. Hamilton Homeless Organization, and our email is helping... HamiltonHomeless
1: at gmail.com. Well, you're remarkable, and thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, you, there are people like you, as I said earlier, in communities across this country. So if folks are listening in and want to do something for someone, do something for someone who really needs it, and you can find the the organizations like Helping uh, uh, Hamilton Homeless in your community as well. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Natasha. All the best to you thank guys. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. you
4: too. Thank ta- you. Ta- take bye. Care.
1: bye Bye-bye. Listen again, please. I sleep in an underground um,
2: uh, parking lot, someone's um, stairway in a building. You can try to find an overflow bed but the majority of those are taken. Basically your feet get frozen and you can just stand there and and, like in fear basically
0: wonder if you're going to die of frostbite or freeze or succumb to the cold or something. It's scary. If you want to hear more,